This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. Hey everyone, welcome to tuning in. This is Eric Francis from Trifecta Ecosystems. Dave Menard from Eartha Kalina. Chris DeMar with Sublime Exposure Online. And today we're going to tackle a, a couple of uh, topics that I think, um, you know, kind of span the time and, and something, or at least maybe one of them may span the time. But, uh, you know, equity crowdfunding and Bitcoin, kind of how that's uh, kind of shaped the, uh, the industry. Because I know last, uh, last year we talked a little bit about, um, you know, kind of the new laws around equity crowd crowdfunding. Um, and then also the idea of IP and how companies can, uh, the kind of couple of do's and do nots of uh, IP. So, um, so I have to say is that uh, Bitcoin and uh, maybe even the blockchain has been getting a lot of uh, play lately. And I know Chris can talk a little bit about it. But, oh, yeah. uh, but, but Dave, what is the, what's happened over the past year in Connecticut with equity crowdfunding? Anything or what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the short, the, the short answer is nothing has happened. <laughs> um, the, the, the long answer is that uh, you know, it, it took the SEC a long time, almost uh, five or six years, to pass equity crowdfunding rules where somebody could go out and, and sell securities for a company on the internet without doing a full public registration. Uh, and People in the community, including myself, really thought that this was going to be a sea change in financing. You know, why, why go to a venture capitalist and give up a big portion of my company when I can sell non-voting equity to people, to anybody on the street? Mm -hmm. And and it did start to catch on. It was very, very slow to start. And even by uh, e even so far, uh, we're not talking. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Is it'd be two? It'd be two years this May. Um, so it wasn't last year; it was the year before. But uh, but we're but we're still talking, you know, less than a hundred, hundred fifty million dollars in total funding. Like that's globally. It, well, no, that's, that's that's in the U.S. US. Okay, that's okay. in the U.S. But globally, it's much much higher. It's much more successful elsewhere. But the the thing that I think is most interesting is what stopped. I believe what stopped the equity crowdfunding trend was Bitcoin. Um, it, because or I, ICOs, right? Or ICOs, or the, yeah, initial but, coin but, offering. But right? but the, the idea of the idea of why even sell securities when I can sell a coin mm -hmm. uh, in quotation marks and uh, a token a and token. and you know we can treat it as not being equity. We don't owe anything to the people who buy the coin. Uh, and and people are spending a ton of money. Coin offerings were raising easily fifty million dollars for companies that didn't really have a business plan. Fifty million? Try two billion. There are, uh, there are companies out there that raised t like billions that of was dollars. Ponzi coin, right? No, <laughs> Dentacoin. Dentacoin. It's a dentist token, and all it pretty much had was a white paper. It came from like Eastern European Europe, and it raised like a bunch of money. So I, I'm sorry. I just no, no. terrible. So you're, to you're the... There, there have been so many coins that have come up, and literally just like just a couple of weeks ago, there was a coin. I forget what it was. Maybe it was Ponzi coin. I don't know. But they literally like took like five hundred thousand dollars of like investor money and just closed the website, and all that was left was the word penis. <laughs> I swear to God. 
it sounds like a great, great, uh, great ICO. Yeah, no, do they do really do. We need to bleep that up. for radio. I, I don't think so. I've, that that is an anatomically and correct, <laughs> like, and and it's a fact. Like, it's still up there. Oh, I'm gonna Google this and see which one was. Carry on. Okay, so, so, so I mean, but this is the point, though, which is that. You know, the coin market right now looks like the stock market before regulation, right? It looks like the stock market in the 1920s and, and you know, very early 30s. And it's, uh, it's, it's unregulated. There's a lot of fraud out mm-hmm. there. There's just a ton of fraud. And, you know, if you're not doing your due diligence, uh, you're likely to get hosed. And if, you, and if you are doing your due diligence, there's still a good chance that, yeah, that you're sure. going to get hosed. And now you see a lot of concern coming out of the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, which regulates the sales of securities. And now they're saying, well, these coins are actually securities. And it'll be, and you know, c- companies are trying everything they can to make sure that they're not treated as securities. But I think at some point, uh, and I don't know when that will be, but I suspect in the next year, two years, that uh, assuming Congress can actually pass any legislation whatsoever, yeah. um, that that will probably get regulated at least in the U.S. because it's but that's actually dangerous. a good thing, right? Like it, 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 to get to the point where it's regulated means that it's coming mainstream and it's actually becoming a thing, right? It is, and it brings a lot of stability to the market. Yep. As much as people don't like regulations, the fact is some level of regulation brings stability to a market, lets people trust that the market mm-hmm. is fair. And, and encourages them to invest in it. I mean, and the thing is that, like, so Bitcoin has been getting, like, the past, like, three months, right? There's been so much rage about it. I mean, it's it went up to almost 19, almost 20,000, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's all, all the way back down to, what, like, probably about seven to 8,000 right now. It was now. down to 6,600 yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's un- the dip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy, so it, it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, Litecoin went up, and then Ethereum, and mm-hmm. then this and that. I mean, Litecoin ended up going up, and, and the guy who created it sold all of his stuff, and it crashed back down. <laughs> and it's just, it's just very interesting. I I mean, one of the good things I will have to say is that I just heard that um, uh, there are some regulations saying that you cannot buy um, cryptos anymore. You know, getting getting all fancy cryptos with um, with credit cards anymore, which yep. that is that is a, such a good and, thing. And that, those, is, that is a great. But, thing. but that was actually, that's actually not regulation. That's the banks. That, well, that's the, the, yeah, the, the banks the, though, because they're they're probably yeah. getting hosed, right? Because there there'd probably be so many people that bought it, and then they're just like, I have this credit card debt, go to bankruptcy, yep. get it. You know, I, I don't know if that's happened. Yeah, but oh, I'm sure it has. <laughs> the, 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 but the banks are taking action, and the fact is, is that most, uh, oh, actually, I think all cryptos are pretty much offshore. You know, it's it's they're all they're, everything is based offshore. You know, you know, there's there most of the marketing uh, and, and sale points are offshore. Mm-hmm. And just um, just just to follow up on what I was saying earlier, um, so it was Prodeum. They raised like three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then just disappeared, leaving their w- website uh, with the word penis on it. And then, but also just yesterday, the uh, SEC basically released a paper saying, uh, we're going to let crypto keep going. We understand the potential. We're not trying to regulate it too much still. So still a little bit of the Wild West out there, guys. Yeah, that's what I said. I think it'll happen because listening to the SEC statement yesterday, you know, part part of it is, is I don't know if there's. And I don't, I'm not trying to get political about it, but I don't know that there's confidence that Congress will actually take any action about anything because they're just not they passing way too much. They, they, if Bitcoin was on the top of, or you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, was on yeah. the top of their agenda, I think so many people would be like, "What is going on?" Because I, I mean, there's there's technology people that I've talked to recently that are you know high level people in in companies, and you bring up Bitcoin or blockchain, and they're like, "What's that? Oh, is that that like thing that?" 
people have been talking about lately. So there's a lot yeah. of people that still don't even understand and, what's going on. And I think, but I do think that in a couple of years, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is it's, it's not unlike the stock, the famous stock market crash, right? And in, in the early thirties, that it, was like penny stocks, right? They like you, a bunch of penny stocks and you can basically just sell any, you know, yeah, you could say anything you wanted, you could sell it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and you could promise people everything. Mm -hmm. And a market like that is not sustainable forever. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just not. And, and so, uh, you know, at some point, if enough people get hurt by it, mm -hmm. then then it becomes the point of regulation. And when you're seeing these wild swings in valuation, that's a good indicator that there's no that that it's all sort of a bubble. There's no actual value. Yep. It, it's it, it's very interesting. So, but I it it, it makes me wonder what's going to happen with equity crowdfunding because it's certainly taken uh, in, in the press and in in the fundraising world. It's taken a back mm -hmm. step. Um, behind the idea of doing a coin offering, but also the the one of the things that because we you know as Trifecta we've we've actually kind of you know talked about crowdfunding and, mm -hmm. and what do we want to do and if should we do it and one of the things and correct me if I'm wrong but like the auditing alone isn't that very expensive just to get that audit every single year once yeah. you do that, that so if you raise over five you can raise up to one million dollars in any twelve month period yep. and if you raise over five hundred thousand dollars you need to provide all the people who buy stock in your company with audited financials. Mm -hmm. And the, the audits can cost a, a fair amount of money. I mean, you know, it depends on how, it depends on how detailed your, your company is. How, I mean, how many levels, what, what are the activities, mm -hmm. but you're, you know, for, for a small company, you're probably still even talking like 20,000 or 25,000 or whatever, but you add up these costs. Not per person. No, 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 the, no, the audit, that's just for the audit financials. That would be a very low dollar value for audited financials. But, okay. But, but if you, but I'm talking, you know, a company like Trifecta yeah. is not an overly complicated company. And so the audit financials probably won't, wouldn't cost as much, mm -hmm. but um, that's only only if we hit five hundred thousand dollars. So that, if we only did, that's two, right. you know, two hundred and fifty, then we're good. Then, then you're good, but you still have to do certain levels of SEC reporting, yeah. um, and and you still have to provide financials. So you provide compiled or reviewed financials. Mm -hmm. I, I think at two fifty, it'd be reviewed financials, um, which is an accounting term for less than audited, but not quite. Just oh, so I have compiled. to we have to get an accountant now. Yeah. Yes, you'd have to get an accountant. <laughs> we have one. Don't worry. Um, so. It, it's just interesting because it, we'll have to see where you know where it goes. But you're right. the The problem with the equity crowdfunding is the one million dollar limitation. Mm -hmm. You raise that to two, three, four. All of a sudden, equity crowdfunding makes a lot more sense because the the reporting burdens and the cost burdens of maintaining of maintaining the records um, and getting the financials and everything every year. It doesn't really matter. It starts mattering a lot less at two, three, four, and five million. Now you you still have to be an accredited investor, right? No. No. No, you can you can sell. To, it, there's just monetary caps on how much mm -hmm. somebody can spend. Uh, everybody have to forgive me if I if I uh, don't get this exactly right. But if you make less than a hundred thousand, if you have it, I I think it's if you have a less than a hundred thousand of income, then you can spend up to. I want to say it's either two or five thousand dollars. I think it's twenty five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So maybe around there. So yeah. so let's say, let, let's just say twenty five hundred uh, dollars mm -hmm. on the stuff. Um, the problem is is that is that there's no way to really check that, right? There's no way to tell if somebody hit their limit yeah. or not. You can get a certification from them where they sign, hit a checkbox that says, I have not hit my limit. But, and a company can rely on that, but there's no way to check on it. On the other hand, if you, if you have a net value or you make over $100,000 uh, over, you know, over in a year, um, you can basically invest uh, you know, up to like 5% of your net worth or 100000 But also the, the, the other side of the ICO, which is so interesting, is that an ICO, you can literally buy $50 worth yes. or $20 worth. 
You know, like that that is you yep. literally can buy that small of an amount. And the, the idea is that, that that crypto will go up in value and then you mm. can dump it very easily. It's not like held, it's not something where you know, you have to wait till that that company exits, which because right yep. now, right, with equity crowdfunding, you basically have to wait till that company exits if they exit. If they, if, they, if yeah, if yep. they exit at all. Now, but with but with a crypto, there, there's <laughs> there's no information. Well, well, well I'm yeah. Really. Besides that, there's <laughs> no reporting requirement. There's no you know. There's, there's a website with penis on it. The, the, yes, the, the consumer. It really, really, guys. Like, I wish I was making this up. <laughs> so the I mean yeah. So so the consumer gets that lucky website, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no guarantees about what will happen. You know, and not, there's any guarantees about what will happen in the future. But there's there's less information to go mm-hmm. on to make an educated guess. Yep. So like, Chris, you've been involved in in uh you know crypto crowdfunding you know raise and everything so tell us about it from kind of your perspective it is madness it is craziness <laughs> i have been doing marketing for a long time and generally you know look it's marketing so you're trying to sell something you're trying to get people on board but there has to be some truth to it you can't just blatantly lie to people's face you can't blatantly be shilling you can't generally speaking there has to be there has to be some level of honesty there when mm-hmm. you're trying to market any product Except tokens, except cryptocurrency, because what I it, like on Reddit, there's a huge Reddit community around cryptocurrency and the blatant shilling, the the bot manipulation, the upvotes. It's more or less unregulated. Actually, just yesterday, uh, the mods on that the our cryptocurrency community made a post saying that they're basically calling out the companies now that are encouraging people in Telegram and Discord and stuff to manipulate votes on these subreddits. Yep. It's it's literally been the wild west, and that's just on Reddit. Uh, on Twitter, you know, there's like regulations in terms of, you know, who you can retweet and who, you know, if, if someone's invested in your company, I can't retweet them unless they say specifically in that tweet that, you know, like I'm inv- right. Whatever, you uh, have to be upfront yeah. about it. But there, there's nobody's doing that. You know what I mean? You have guys who own tens of millions of dollars in cryptocurrency blatantly shilling. John McAfee's a great guy. John <laughs> McAfee's just he's wild. I got to a little not like like I was tweeting some stuff and like he was tweeting about one of the companies and stuff, but this dude just basically can pump and dump stuff all day long. Cause he just says, I'm getting it on this. He already has it. So people buy a ton of it. The price goes through the roof and then he can dump it. And, and you know, I'm not trying to call him out personally, but like a lot, there's a lot of people out there. That are just he's an interesting basic. character. Regardless. He's a very interesting character. And if he hears this and comes at me, I mean, I guess we made it right. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but you know, it's just an example of, you know, people are, there's really no regulation around. There's really nothing saying you can't. So in the marketing side of things, it's really just kind of the wild west. And, you know, I'm an honest guy. I'm trying to do it the right way. You know, that's ultimately in the long game. That's better for the investors. It's better for the company. You're not going to have, you know, we we have no issues with people saying, you know, oh, you're up to no good. But there's these other companies where you watch these guys raising, you know, $10 million in a month. And then all they have is a white paper and some stock photos of their quote unquote team on their page. It's like. I right-click and Google search that stuff, and it comes up on Adobe or Getty Images. Like, that's not you. That's not it. So there, it's it's really, like, just it could definitely use a lot more regulation. But I also don't think we're going to see much of that anytime soon because it's also just a numbers game, guys. There's there's, there's a, It feels like there's a dozen new tokens coming out every, every week. Day, yeah. You would need, like, an entire department at the SEC just dedicated to monitoring what's coming out. Yeah. Yeah, and and I will have to say is that I, one of the things that I saw the um, creator of uh, Ethereum, um, he he was kind of talking about, is that you know 
there's been so much, uh, you know, kind of marketing and, and uh, you know, hype around these tokens that people have been, um, you know, buying, uh, buying everything. And he goes, listen, he goes, there aren't enough developers actually developing yes. Ethereum the way it needs to be done. I mean, it's a smart contract. You have to actually develop it. And there needs to be a lot more work put into it. So, you know, the honest companies that are actually doing that and actually developing on the platform and doing it the right way. Again, it's there's still startups. It still takes time. It's not, you know, it, you have to think the long way. So I'm glad that you're an honest marketer. But um, but that's that was the one thing that I kind of saw was that um, I maybe mean, hell of yeah. to be like, yeah, no, I'm dirty and yeah, dishonest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hire me. But but the the uh, guy that who created Ethereum was just like it. You know, more people have to start developing it or developing on the platform the that that chain. Um, the way it was meant to be to, for it to become really widely, you know, used. And, and that is one of the issues that, you know, a lot of these, you know, crappy tokens are coming out and they're, you know, the developers are very few and far between. You know, if, you, if you're looking for a career right now and you want to make money and have your pick of the litter of where you're going to work, learn blockchain, guys, because the blockchain, the people with real companies that are actually trying to build stuff, they will hire you tomorrow. But th there's just so few and far between. And. You know, one thing I just want to say, if you are thinking about getting into cryptocurrency and you're not, you know, you're going outside of the main coins like Ethereum and Bitcoin and you're looking into like, you know, sp company specific coins, read the white paper, get on Telegram and ask real questions. Do they have revenue? Do they have a product? What's their game plan? Who are their advisors? Are people actually invested money into this? Because there are far too many of people who just like read, you know, a three page, four page white paper and say, this sounds like a great idea. And also, you know, I'm just going to buy all this stuff and hope I get rich quick. Mm -hmm. Look, you got to think long game. And it's just in other I, words, treat it like you're playing the stock market. Exactly. And but only you, and only risk what you're willing to lose at the casino. But, <laughs> yes. right. like, it's like what you're going to risk at a slot machine. Only do that in coin. But, but you have to understand the madness is that, you know, in the past six months, this went from being something that, you know, the nerdy dudes who play video games all day and stuff, build computers. This was kind of their thing. And then it went over into the mainstream where all of a sudden. I'm having people who can barely turn on a computer asking me about cryptocurrency and where they should have. I'm like, you shouldn't do it at all. No. You really should not. You know, if you are, you shouldn't be coming. If you're coming to me for advice on cryptocurrency, you already have a problem. Okay. <laughs> like I've, I've made some smart bets here and there, but I am not at all an investor advisor. So if you're asking me, you already have an issue. So we're, we're over halfway through this cast. And I think the conclusion is, is. Don't talk to us about Bitcoin or <laughs> cryptocurrency. Don't take our advice, at least. We'll talk about it and we'll tell you, like, just don't yeah. listen to us. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I think that that's uh, a good thing is that at the end of the day, you know, ICOs and um, crowd equity funding kind of actually compete against each other. And it's one thing where yeah. so much money and so much time and effort went into crowd, uh, crowd equity funding, but now it's almost null and void. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where sometimes... Um, you know, the the timeliness of something, it, it almost like crowd equity funding had to come a year or two prior and it could have been great. You know, it could have been, you know, a billion dollars instead of just a hundred million. But well, um, sometimes so. things are rediscovered as well. And so we'll that is true. We'll see what the future holds. Every fifteen years trends come back. So <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so IP, let's let's talk a little bit of IP because I know that that's a, a big thing uh, for startups saying, Hey, I need IP, hey, I need proprietary information, hey, I need, you know, trade secrets. So, you know, give give us some of the things that are coming coming in from uh, the law side of it. Well, well, let's get to uh, let's have a legal version of an after-school special. Yeah, oh, okay. And so, so I'm going to tell you a story. Um, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Very good. Um, but uh, but it's a true story, and it just it just reminds me there are always a lot of uh, things that can hang up a, a startup company. 
um, and that startup companies need to be pen paying attention from day one. They don't know what they don't know. And part of that is part of the solution to that is getting a good group of advisors um, and people you can trust to talk to and ask questions of. You don't need to know everything, but you need to know somebody you can ask mm -hmm. about things. Um, and this is sort of an example of a company that didn't. And it, 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 it was a painful experience for that company. It was frankly a painful experience uh, helping that company. And I, and I really, I, I'd, I'd like to see other people just you have this as one of the, one of those many things that came out there and, and bite you in the bottom and you need to just be aware of it. So um, we had an entrepreneur company uh, approach us and say, you know, we want to uh, sell, we want to sell the company. And, uh, and we said, that's great. Happy to help you. Um, and, uh, and they've said that, uh, well, you know, here's the, you know, here's the information from the other side. This is the purchase agreement. This is what they're looking at. They're asking all these questions about our IP. Could you take a look at our IP? Now, we didn't... We the, had the due diligence. They got to the due diligence. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're now, for the first time, they're really examining their IP. And they used to have uh, another IP attorney, uh, a solo practitioner that, that um, frankly... I you know I, I don't know the whole story and I'm not I'm not trying to impugn this petitioner but it didn't look like the the Arclus client knew the whole story about what was going on with their IP. They had filed a provisional patent. So so the way it works is that you can file a provisional patent, which is not disclosed anywhere, but it's it's holds your place for a year. Mm -hmm. You get 12 more months to go out and file a non-provisional, which is what most people think of as a full patent application. And you can and if if what's in the patent application matches pretty closely what's in the provisional, then you get the date of the provisional as your filing date. So you get that extra protection uh, for a longer period of time. Um, so this person filed the provisional, and then they filed what's called the PCT, uh, the Patent Cooperation Treaty uh, application. And this allows you to file, uh, this kind of holds your spot in a number of countries around the world. And so once you file the PCT, you then get, I, I, I'm not a patent attorney, I can't tell you what the exact amount, it's like 12 to 18 months somewhere to go and file uh, your actual patent applications in these other countries. The problem is, is that it turns out that a PCT counts as a full disclosure. It's not private. It's a disclosure of what your invention is. Once you disclose something, you, you're on a clock to actually get a chance to file it. Because then other people can go do the same thing, right? That's they right. They know exactly what you're doing, and they and, can file the patent. And, so, and, and, the, and the U.S. Patent Office won't accept applications with things that have been disclosed out, the, out there in the common knowledge, right? And so, so what this person did is they, then they eventually decided, well, we have, the, we have a provisional patent. We have the PCT. 12, 18 months went by. They never filed another non-provisional. They never... So now it's open. And now it's open. So then they get to go to sell the company. And they're they're you know showing the buyer their their product or service, and the buyer's looking at the buyer says, okay, well, what, what do you have protected? And the guy goes, well, I think I have a, you know, I think it's patent That's pending. Right, yeah. And they go and they look at it and they're like, well, are you sure? It doesn't look like that to us <laughs> because we can go do this ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and then we go and then we go look at it, and our conclusion is basically the same, which is that listen. Uh, you know, nothing was filed in any of the appropriate times. You have you net, your information. Everything that you filed in this PCT is now public. Anybody can go and do this. You basically lost, any, you know, any patentability. You just did an Elon Musk, right? You just like and, opened up all your patents for like two years. And, <laughs> and we're trying, you know, and, and and then we're in a situation of trying to find something, just pieces of it that you can try to patent, or you know, something that that maybe changed in the product and wasn't disclosed, or something else. And and so you, the problem is, is like now you're looking at a huge purchase price reduction because what what part of what a person's buying is the protectability of of the product. So, so this 
person and their company could lose 50% of the purchase price. And then the question is, is the deal worth it? But even if the deal isn't worth it, you've now just like you've opened up to a potential competitor. Exactly. And, you know, right. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of other issues surrounding this and, and, and it's never easy or simple to describe legal problems. But the fact is, is that you need to be very comfortable with, you know, whoever your patent counsel is. You should have patent counsel. You should have an IP attorney who knows what they're doing. Um, looking at these things and talking about it because it's not as simple as just filing a provisional and then letting it go. Um, if you make the wrong move along the way, your entire company's basis for IP could be out there in public domain. And also understanding, you know, do I need to have a patent or is it a trade secret, right? And exactly. like there's different that kind of stuff to it because, yeah. you know, I mean, because right, the recipe for Coca-Cola is not patented. It's just a trade secret. That's <laughs> like, right. You and know, there's those kinds of things where companies well, are built on that. That's kind something of where, like, WD-40 never patented their formula or the, for uh, the uh, grease because then it would be out there and, uh, like, companies could copy it. So they never patented it. So, the yeah. so WD-40 we, is, like, super secret, just like Coca-Cola. They wouldn't uh, have the 20 years of patent protection for the—I the, mean, because you get, file a patent, you get 20 years of protection, but then it, go, then it gets then open to open everybody. Up. And that's intentional. The idea is everybody should be able to share, you know, increase, increase the common good. Um, but they give you those twenty years to play with it. Now, some formulas, it's uh, you know, especially with formulas, uh, Coca-Cola formula, the KFC eleven herbs and spices, you know, uh, WD forty things like that. Medicine tend to be uh, well. Actually, a lot of medicine, interesting enough, is patented. Um, but, well, that's what I'm, okay, yeah. yeah, okay. As opposed to as opposed to kept as a trade yeah. secret. Um, but it's very uh, it's it's interesting um, how that works out because because you know people figure out formulas, right? They they, they sooner or later they <laughs> there's use, a Chinese use, knockoff of WD forty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you know the the supposed formula from Coke has been disclosed many times yeah. uh, out into the public. I saw that uh, the Pepsi guy. Um, the uh, there's like that sting where that. Uh, Somebody got the Coke and brought it to Pepsi, and yes. Pepsi called Coke and was like, "Listen, that was we're the getting the offer for it. We just want to let you know." It's like that's interesting. You know, competitors really just you know re, you know helping each other out. Yeah, that, well, that was the secretary, and they, they didn't want that fight, and it, and it wasn't going to help them anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine imagine that legal battle for one. Also, it's, it's good optics. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go buy a Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Coke guy. Uh, I'm a Coke guy too. <laughs> You're right. No, I'm, I'm going to have to edit I mean, that I one. I mean, the... I don't know. I don't know about all the new cokes that they came out in the Super Bowl, but you know, like all the different flavors and everything. Oh, I'm just, I'm just looking. Like the lawyers, like I'm a Coke guy. And it's like, uh, oh, okay. That's how you stay up at night. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually, bright lights, big city, man. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, no. It, <laughs> Actually, I could just I could just picture this part. I'm, I'm waiting to listen to this on the radio when it goes when it, when it goes. I'm a boop Pepsi. Oh my god! <laughs> but but honestly, like that is something that I feel like is sometimes uh you know entrepreneurs they they're just in the mix of so many different things. They, sure. they have one lawyer that says, "Hey, you got it, you're good," and you have 18 months. And then honestly, 18 months flies. Like 12 months flies by. So it's so it's something where unless it's on your radar, where okay now the top, you know it's it, it's in the office with the 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 countdown coming down. You know, 18 months down, and yes. we only have a few months left to put this in. So there are so many things like this. The, the biggest problems I think entrepreneurs face, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Our, our co-host, who's not with us today, uh, Andrew Stolf, uh, and I have been have been having extensive discussions about what would be helpful to entrepreneurs mm -hmm. for various programs. And the biggest problem is that there's a massive information differential between what the entrepreneur knows and what 
everybody else knows, right? The entrepreneur starts and they focus on the product. Yep. And most times, a brand new entrepreneur anyways, that maybe not somebody who's been around a few t- block a few times, but a brand new entrepreneur really doesn't know much beyond their product. Mm-hmm. I mean, they may not be a business school major, they may be an engineering major, they may, whatever the case may be. Um, and there's just so much else that goes into it. And everybody is telling them, we're here to help. You know, we're, they, mm-hmm. they, everybody wants to say, hey, we're here to help. Are you service providers? So. Yes. Well, <laughs> service providers, people who <laughs> offer financing. Yeah, I mean, I, us, yeah, I'm not letting service providers off the hook, but, but service providers, financiers, um, people who say they're just willing to be mentors but then wind up wanting to invest in the company or do stuff, that role matters. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is, is almost nobody's there to help. Mo- almost everybody has their own agenda in play. And everybody has their own self-interest. As their main point, right? Yes, I mean, like and, the, and, and that may or may not be to the benefit of the company. Yep. And uh, understanding that alone can save a lot of heartache, mm-hmm. right? Taking people at face value is not where you should always be. Well, the, well, so the thing is about entrepreneurs, right? Like, a lot of entrepreneurs that, that have been successful, if they're, they're naive, right? If they knew all the challenges that were going to face them, yeah, they, they would never start. They would never start. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it really is yeah. one of those things where you have to be a little naive to think that you can do yeah. something. But along the way, you have to become less and less naive about the world, real world. I, I know we're getting to the point where we're going to have to wrap this up. But, but if I could just pass on uh, one last tidbit, it's just ask questions. Do never, ever stop asking questions. Product, uh, your mentors. Never a stupid question, right? right? <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. Because, because what somebody else, even if somebody else thinks it's stupid, if it gets you knowledge, if it gets you information that you need, it's not stupid. Um, and, and if it teaches you something about the person you're dealing with, even better. Just, just always be willing to question everything. If you don't ask the question, you won't find the answer. Yep. And so here's here's definitely not a stupid question. Have have you as a listener written a review for us? Because if you <laughs> haven't, I think you need to go go do that. Because you know we we in our self interest, we just want to hear ourselves talk. That's why we're doing this. But we want to make sure that we're actually uh, you know giving you guys some value. So if you guys can go write a review, um, that'd be great. Um, and then also go check us out on CT Startup. Uh, dot com and uh, you know look at all the other content that we have up there so talk to you next week thanks for tuning in thank you for listening to ct startup more connecticut startup news information and events can be found at ctstartup.com the weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from itunes google play stitcher and ctstartup.com finally we would like to thank both sublime exposure online and Mirtha Kalina for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.